We're in uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer we've been studying, and uh, we've been at this for a few weeks now, and looking at the Lord Jesus, how he taught us to pray to God, and how we should orient ourselves each day of, the, of our lives. And it uh, strikes me this morning as I was, uh, had the opportunity to go back and look around and think about um, of you and pray for you, as uh, Pastor Jonathan urged us to be praying, and I was already praying for a couple specific people here, but I realized suddenly that a good 10% of our congregation this morning, is, I don't think I recognize you, uh, you're new, um, and I, I think of all the days to be here, this is, this is not an accident that you're here, God has brought you to hear something about forgiveness, how to get it, how to give it. And uh, so he, this is important. This isn't, uh, don't, I don't know how, you know, accidentally you arrived here, but uh, I hope that you'll receive what uh, the Word of God is about to say to you as a message directly postmarked for you. No, you know, forwarding address required. God knows where you are, uh, the situation of your heart. Uh, receive this blessing today. As you look with me in Matthew chapter 6, uh, we're looking, uh, there's some Bibles there. We like to provide physical copies. I know that's old school. You're going to have to put up with me. I love physical, tangible copies of books, and in particular, this ancient book, the most published printed book in all of the uh, history of man, the Bible. And now uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6. It's an ancient document. It's been around for a long time. These are ancient words. Don't think because of that they're dusty. Instead, realize that they're so powerful, they're so true, so helpful that still to this day, men and women, boys and girls, have been studying God's word, have been receiving it, accepting it, believing it to be true, and maybe even desperately hoping that it has power, that it will work. I guarantee you my own experience is such that it does have power. So listen as uh, we read about how Jesus taught us to pray. He's teaching the disciples. The disciple is someone who's following Jesus and uh, who is the Savior of the world. It's Matthew 6. I, I forgot to tell you, page 811, 811. Uh, or you can obviously use your device. I won't, you know, there's no, I don't think any lesser of you because you use a device to read God's word. I just happen to like the hard copy. So here we go. Uh, Jesus is teaching us us to pray. He says this, Matthew 6 verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're talking about trespassing. Last uh, Sunday we looked at that first part of verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Uh, and today we're looking at the second part of verse 12 where it says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we're looking at that aspect of forgiveness that we give. And I just want to remind you, I'm not going to redo all of last Sunday's sermon, but there are three different terms that are used to describe these things. Sins, debts, 
trespasses. Um, I'm not going to unpack that again. That's the great thing about YouTube. You can go back and rewind that tape and uh, watch it later. Uh, but here's the thing. We've got ourselves in a jam. We've done something we ought not to do. And there are some heavy consequences, some real difficulties that entered our lives. And so we find ourselves uh, beholden in debt to God who made us, our creator, uh, who gave us his son, his one only begotten son. Remember that beautiful verse, John 3.16. Maybe you remember it. I know the children from Awana do. You are welcome to say it now. For God so loved the world that he gave Well done, well done. You didn't know you were going to have that memory verse. You just never know when you're in, a, in somewhere and you have to share the good news of Jesus. So I think you guys are ready. Glad to hear that. So trespasses, uh, apparently uh, this was a big deal to Jesus because in this short, very, very short uh, way of praying, a, a form or a, a format really, an attitude of prayer, three different words are used. He didn't have a lot of words in the prayer so that the, he would use three of them to describe the situation of our debt, our trespasses, our sins, means that this is a real big problem for human beings, and it's really on the heart of God to address. Uh, I was uh, reminded of about a story that uh, Pastor David Jeremiah shared about uh, some years back. This was um, before smartphones were around for sure. I don't know if they had pagers back then, but there was a father and a son in uh, Spain who got estranged from each other, kind of got kind of uh, going at each other. Uh, I, I'm sure you can't imagine a son and a father ever having an argument, right? <laughs> or a mother or daughter ever having a tiff. Well, they did, and their tiff got worse and worse, and finally the son just ran away uh, and refused uh, to be uh, have anything to do with his father. He was so upset, and the father with him as well. And, and eventually down the road, the father, uh, as he was getting older, uh, grieved greatly that he was never able to reconnect with his son. And he, he began to, to think to himself, I've got to fix this. I have got to restore to my son. I've got to find Paco, he thought to himself. And so uh, he searched all throughout Madrid, hoping that his son would be uh, found somewhere. He, he searched every connection he could come up with and, and really came to the end of his resources, had nothing else he could do. And so all that he could do is just so desperate to, to speak a good word uh, and to apologize and seek to his, his uh, son out that he put a, took out an advertisement in the Madrid newspaper and he put in this newspaper this sentence or two. Dear Paco, uh, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon this Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah mentions that that Saturday... 800 Pacos showed up. <laughs> 800. Uh, desperate to be restored, to be forgiven. Uh, I sure hope that that man's Paco, that his actual son was one of them. Now, I go to, that goes to show you that the, the ache of our human condition, that we need forgiveness, that we need a bitterness kind of sucked out of our hearts, uh, this poison that's like rotting us from the inside out, that we need God's help in this. It's real. Uh, mental health is a real challenge. I know that uh, Dr. John Stott, in his book, uh, Confess Your Sins, he mentions, he doesn't give the guy's name. I don't think it was appropriate for him to share the physician's name. But this physician said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow from this mental hospital if only they could be certain they were forgiven. Half patients, half the patients. I think how contrary Jesus and the Gospels and the Bible's methodology and its orientation, its message is because mental hospitals today aren't fixing people because what they're basically saying is just be true to yourself. 
Whereas God's word says, be true to God. Be true to who he made you to be, how he made you, and then also be true to one another. You know, as I've said often, you probably are irritated that I say this so often, but put your loves in the right order. And Jesus was very clear what that was. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. And the second thing after that is then to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because your love of God must spill out. You can't hold it in. It's like a pressure cooker. You try to hold on to the love of God, it will explode because it's a powerful force. It heals people from the inside out and forgives even the worst of sins. I don't know where you are this morning, but uh, perhaps some here are yearning to actually be forgiven by someone that they have hurt or are wondering if they could ever themselves be forgiven or how they could forgive someone who's hurt them. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, of help here in God's word. So we're looking here at Matthew six twelve. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our, our debtors. W- what is it to forgive? What is it to forgive? Uh, it's a Greek word. Uh, I'll just say you like some of you like to know that it's a fiemi. It just means forgive. It means to let go, release, or remit. Now I want to bring up a. Oh, great! You already brought it up. That's great. This is the right time to bring out your smartphone and take a picture. Not of me, because you, but of this. I'm serious. This, is, this, this to me uh, has helped. Uh, in, in every relationship that I have applied this, it has been good in my life. Uh, this is from a man who did a lot of conflict resolution, a, a man named Ken Sandy. He's since passed on and been uh, uh, promoted to our Lord. But there's a great little book called The Peacemaker, which I have a copy and just realized this week that our church library does not. So I will rectify that because it's an excellent book. Forgiveness, I want to be clear on this, and I think partly why we're struggling with forgiveness in our lives is we don't actually know what it is, haven't really pressed into it, and have only given kind of partial forgiveness. But we need eternal, long-lasting, permanent forgiveness that's really a done deal. So what is forgiveness? Look at this uh, just overview. I want to just simply put it this way. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision, okay? Uh, love is like that. Love and forgiveness kind of go hand in hand. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. Remember that? Love keeps no accounts. In fact, apparently, according to Jesus, it should be a daily account. Every day you should pray. Not only give us this day our daily bread, but Father, please forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. So apparently, you keep a very short order, a very short account, uh, even on a single day. It is a decision. Forgiveness is a decision to offer grace Instead of demanding justice, it's grace instead of justice. You're not really looking for fairness uh, because if you're honest, you don't want to be always treated fairly. You wouldn't be treated better than you deserve. And so you will then treat others better uh, than they deserve. That's what uh, grace is talking about. It's uh, uh, given what you, given a mercy that you don't deserve. There are four promises and this is really, this is really helpful. It has helped me diagnose more than one relationship, helping people understand that though they said I'm sorry or they heard someone say that to them, they haven't really been forgiven. And you can tell that when you realize if one of these four promises are not true about a certain uh, scenario, forgiveness and restoration hasn't really occurred. So these four promises are really helpful. Number one, uh, and and by the way, in his book, he unpacks this. I'm not going to give you a whole treatise on on the biblical foundation and how to do the forgiveness. That, That is pretty simple in a way, but profound as you search the scriptures. But these four principles are really helpful. These four promises, what forgiveness means. Number one, I will not let this hinder our relationship. Secondly, I will not dwell on this. I will not bring this up ever again. 
I will not tell others about this. So those are the four things. I will not let this hinder our relationship. I will not dwell on this. I will not bring this up ever again. I will not tell others about this. I would suggest to you that perhaps a lot of the times the forgiveness that we're, we have received or we've heard people kind of say things to us or we've said certain things and, 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 and we have, we're kind of felt, find ourselves perhaps in a jam because we've gone through the motion of being forgiven or restored but like we weren't really. We know it because they brought it up again. They let it hinder. We're no longer in with them. We're not their friend. We're just a kind of a distant acquaintance. They have sort of like, you know, walled us off from them and closed off their hearts to us. And we know we're not where we should be or where we could be. And we don't know what to do now because we already apologized or they already apologized to us. But there's some strain there that has not uh, been uh, restored. And I think about children and, and perhaps you have been in one of those scenarios where you have witnessed a referee match between two sinners or yourself as a father and mother have been the referee. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Johnny, tell your sister you're sorry. You know what I'm saying? And Johnny's like, I'm sorry. You know. No, say, tell your sister, look at her and say you're sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and then there's the, the, they go through the motions. Mom or dad will say, okay, and now Susie, what do you do? Like, what? I forgive you. Oh, good. Now let's hug each other, right? That's what comes next. And become, then, the, then you have that most awkward hug in the universe where they clearly don't want to be in doing it, but they're being forced prematurely to re- reconcile, right? That's not forgiveness. I think a lot of times in our adult relationships, we may not have had someone force a hug, but we feel compelled by courtesy or some other thing uh, to be nice, and we haven't really forgiven or been forgiven, and so we find ourselves in a very difficult situation. How do we get ourselves out of it? When the world is full of people who haven't really turned from their trespasses, haven't really confessed their sin, uh, or, or acknowledged the pain that they've caused, the disruption, and maybe even abuse that has been done, is full of all kinds of things, and it seems like a lot of politeness has just created sort of I guess I'll say that the unforgiveness has scabbed over into, into bitterness. And bitterness, like Dr. Chappell said, uh, is, is a, an acid that will eat you from the inside out. It is an acid that eats its own container. Uh, it will destroy you. Uh, and that's true both in the church and outside of it. How do we test to see if we've truly uh, forgiven someone? Uh, those four promises that you took hopefully a picture of, Uh, help you diagnose that or double check to be sure that you've actually been forgiven and that you have actually forgiven the the other person uh, in your life. I want to look at the what, why, and how of forgiveness. So uh, let's look first at what does forgiveness do? There are three things, at least, uh, that forgiveness does, three key things. And one of them is forgiveness restores relationship. Another one is uh, forgiveness pays a debt for the trespasser. For the trespasser, and the third one is uh, forgiveness will release that bitter burden from the one for the one who's been trespassed against the one who's been sinned against. I just know of no better illustration of this. I'm not going to tell you a story, though, though they abound in my life uh, and the things I've read and testimonies I've heard. There's many things that, that could be shared, but I think probably one of the better things to read about how to do forgiveness, what it looks like, and how to see it 
played out when it's not actually given is in that parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. Parable of the prodigal son. We're going to read that now. It's Luke 15. I'd like to read it. I think there's a f- many here who haven't ever heard the parable. Maybe you've heard someone talk about prodigal this and you're not sure what they were referring to. They're referring to this marvelous story. A parable is just a story that, uh, in this case, Jesus told that has a message, it has a point. And the parable of the prodigal is on Luke 15, and I, I realize I don't have any idea what page number that is. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. So if you just turn back a few pages, it's Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to begin in verse 11. And we're thinking about the theme of forgiveness, and this story talks about salvation. It talks about restoration between a Paco, so to speak, and his father. But it also talks about unforgiveness, that, that the Paco's brother, will call him Rafael. That was my Spanish name. You had to have Spanish names when you took high school Spanish. I was Raphael, right? No one laughed. Okay. Uh, I thought it was a goofy name. I thought I was trying to be suave by picking Raphael. Or maybe it was a Ninja Turtle thing. I don't remember. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Ninja Turtles. I got distracted. Luke 15. <laughs> Luke 15, verse 11. Here's what our Lord uh, taught us about forgiveness. He illustrates uh, restoration with God and with each other in this manner. Listen carefully. Uh, If you haven't got there, that's fine. Just listen to the story. Jesus said, there's a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread. But I perish here with hunger. I will arise. I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your, ser- your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, that is the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that, I, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, I know many of you know that well, well-known uh, parable, that story. Some of you it's new, but here's the overall thing. The father, his son, takes his inheritance early. Once, once what dad was going to give him when he died, he, he kind of didn't care about his dad very much. Just give me the stuff, I'm going. He uses it in reckless living. I mean, the, the, the older brother has a certain uh, idea on how he used the money, I'll say. That, that doesn't say that in scripture that he did that. But uh, he, he ha- questioned the, the young man's motives. And, and the son says to himself, I, he prepares a speech. I'm going to go back to my father and apologize. And, and I'm going to give him some guarantees. From here on out, I, won't, I don't need to be a son again. I'll just be a good, faithful servant from now on. I'm going to be a great worker, dad. I guarantee it. He has this whole you know, speech prepared. And he, but even as he's gathering and coming back home, apparently the father this whole time had been looking for the son. And when he saw the son come up over the horizon, somehow he knew that that guy, that shadow over way in the distance, that was his son. And he hikes up his, his long robes because they wore long robes in a very undignified, undignified manner. He sprints as an older man toward his son. And as he's rushing up to the son, the son kind of spills out his, his prepared speech. Uh, Father, please forgive me. I have sinned against heaven and against you on earth. And before he can say anything else, the father interrupts him. Uh, and, and he says, hold on here, get the robe, get the ring, get the, the sandals, get this guy back together. He's fully restored the ring of authority back full into the family. And, and let's have a feast. It's time for burgers tonight, people, right? Or I don't think they were burgers, but they, something delicious, right? And then let's get something going on the, on the grill. And they celebrate. Now, I want you to see a couple things about how that's forgiveness. As I said, forgiveness is restoring a relationship. And that is so vividly explained and shown here, both in the hugging and the kissing that the father does of his son, but especially in the symbols of the, of the robe and the ring and the shoes, right? It's like there's no like strings attached, I might say, in terms of the forgiveness that the father offers to his son. So there's a full and complete restoration of that relationship. That's the first thing. What does forgiveness do? It restores relationship. The second thing it does is a forgiveness is a willingness to pay a debt for the trespasser. You're actually paying the debt uh, that the trespasser has incurred. A good question is who paid the debt uh, for the prodigal son's sins? Who paid the debt for this young man's sins? Now, the first initial thing is, well, the father did, right? It was his resources, the father's assets, that the younger man squandered in his reckless living. Uh, In some sense, that's true. But I think Tim Keller is right when he points out that actually uh, the one who paid uh, now for the the son's restoration is the older brother. In fact, the father himself says that. He says when he goes out to his older brother, or his older son, excuse me, he says, look... Everything I have is yours. Now that's true because he had already liquidated one portion of the, of the resources of the household to give to the younger brother, to his younger son, right? So everything else that remained was the inheritance that would be the elder son. 
Do you see that? So when he was, who's, who at, who, at whose expense is this party, this lavish party going on? At the elder brother's expense, at his future estate, right? So, so he's frustrated by that, and he says, well, I never, and he has this grumble against the father. Uh, and now I want you to see something, that, that that's so critical to recognize that sin isn't, a, a, when you forgive someone of a sin, you're not really like, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, we'll overlook this thing. There's always a cost to sin, always. But someone has to pay for that cost. Someone has to pay for what was done. Uh, and forgiveness is never an excusing of sin. A lot of people, I think, especially maybe even Christians, are, are find themselves stuck in limbo because uh, someone has said, I forgive you, but they haven't really actually forgiven because they've said with their mouths, because you know you're supposed to, but in their hearts, they're saying a different word. They're saying by bringing it up or by one other means or another, I absolutely do not forgive you. There's no way I'm going to pay the debt that you've incurred. Uh, I'm going to keep you at arm's length. And they have so, in that way, they've emptied the, the forgiveness that Christ offers them and you, and that we're to offer others of its power and its reality. Uh, you, you also, we have to be careful. I think sometimes when we have heard people say, I forgive you, we, have, we haven't had the power, the, the full and complete um, restoration and healing that can be offered because what they tacked on to their I forgive you statement undermined its significance, meaning this. They say something like, I forgive you, it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. Even if it isn't a big deal to you, every sin against a person made in the image of God is a significant matter to the man who made them, that, or to the God who made them, excuse me. Do you understand? It may not be a big deal to you, but it is to God. And in fact, as I said last week, maturity is not, you know, getting sort of numb to sin. You are becoming more sensitive to sin. You might, as you get older, find yourself uh, needing to ask more often for forgiveness over even minor matters, not because they're that big of a deal, but because you wish to keep short accounts and you wish to signal to other people that you see how you have fallen short and you want to ask them uh, to, to uh, help you with that. And we all make mistakes is another thing that someone will say or, um, well, you just couldn't help it. I mean, all those things actually undermine the offer of forgiveness. None of those are the way in which we just speak to each other. I would say this. I can't say it long enough or loud enough. Never, never, never lie. Never lie. Not even in giving forgiveness or in asking it. Don't ever lie. Even if you think it's polite. Even if you think you don't want to ruffle their feathers. Even if you don't want to create hard feelings. I tell you, the restoration of your relationship is more important than how you feel about the person or how they feel about you. Your restoration with Christ uh, trumps these things. Uh, don't ever lie. Sin is horrible. It actually should hurt. It does hurt. Be real with the reality of what you have been through and take it to God and take it to the person and the party that has had offense. Forgiveness is a very costly activity. One more quote from Ken Sandy, if I can uh, put it this way. He, he says it very well. When someone sins, they are creating a debt, and someone must pay for it. Now, most of the debt that is owed is to God, but if someone sinned against you, part of that debt is also owed to you. This means that you have a choice to make. You can either take payments on the debt, or make payments. You can either take payments from the person, or you can make payments for them. 
That is paying the debt of the trespasser. Forgiveness is saying, I will pay for what you have done. I understand. I know personally the consequences. It hurts me terribly. It's cost me much and dearly. I am willing to pay that for your sake. Now we'll say, how in the world can I do that? We'll get to Christ in a minute. But for now, understand that someone has to pay for this. There's no kind of get-out-of-jail-free card when you're sinning against a, an eternal being who has a spirit who will go on to exist in one form or another, or I should say in one place or another. Do you understand? These are significant things. And our sins sometimes radically and permanently readjust and change the trajectory of other people. And if we're honest, when it's a sin, it's not for the better. The third thing that uh, sin uh, forgiveness does, as I said, it restores the relationship. It pays a debt for the trespasser. The third thing it does is it releases a bitter burden for the one trespassed against us. Now, the elder son in the parable, the prodigal son, he's unwilling to make, the, to make that payment for the younger son's, the younger brother's debt. Uh, so he refuses to go into the feast. You see how unforgiveness, like a bitterness, is in his heart. He's so irritated, so frustrated. I think secretly in his heart, he wished he could have done what the younger brother did, you know, live for himself foolishly and get away with it. That's kind of what he's thinking. This guy, this is not fair. He's getting away with it. Uh, but the elder son, he has bitterness in his heart. He has a resentful attitude toward the younger, bro- younger brother, his younger brother, the younger son. And apparently it had been a building up situation all these years where he was working. He was there and the other guy wasn't. He wasn't working out of love for the father. He was working out of love for himself. And you see that betrayed when he says, I'm willing, unwilling to pay and use these, these resources for another person. But I want you to say this, that as you go through that, the only way to have forgiveness and to give forgiveness is to yourself have received it first. Uh, consider this. This is from uh, Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. To the extent that you and I grasp in the depths of my being this great truth of God's forgiveness of my sin through Christ, I will be freed up to honestly and humbly face the particular manifestations of sin in my own life. The only sin that can be successfully fought against is forgiven sin. Let me say that again. The only sin, you only begin to really fight against sin when you have it forgiven. We cannot begin to deal with the activity of sin in our lives until we have first dealt with its guilt. The elder brother has to come to terms with where he's at. And he will, I hope he does that. The story is left open-ended. We don't know how the elder brother received uh, the father's instructions. But the key person in the whole parable is the father. We see a person that we wish we were like him. We wish we had such a large heart, like such a magnanimous spirit, such an aching for restoration, because we want to be restored. We were wishing we were like this, this father, actually, in our relationships, because, of course, the father is God, right? Is pointing to God. I want you to say this, that when you are going through a relationship, specifically when someone says or does something that really hurts you or offends you, you have a hard time letting it go. Now, it is a good thing to easily not have to bring up every little detail. If you can release something and you find the next day it's not on your accounts, it's not in your brain, you haven't thought about it, you've moved on, great. You don't need to bring it up with your brother or sister. But if you find day after day, you just can't seem to let something go. I would invite you to have a committee meeting with yourself. (laughs) Here's what I mean. Can you imagine the father and the elder son coming together? 
The sons come back, and they have a committee meeting. Should we, should we go ahead and have hamburgers? Should we have a celebration today? Can you imagine the father and the son discussing, the elder son, discussing in a committee whether they should forgive that brother or that son or not, right? Who's going to get their way? The guy who's a curmudgeon, who's me, 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 who's the elder brother who did what he was doing because he was religious and you're supposed to, or the father whose love is exuberant, who overwhelms and kind of, I would say, captures the hearts and attention of the whole household. I would say his affection for his sons, his love, uh, his purity and wholeness, holiness, and, and who he is as a, as a person kind of like carries other people along in the enthusiasm of the moment. We have got to celebrate, right? And no one wants to be a wet blanket when someone has that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of affection for another person. So when you are having this committee meeting between you, yourself, and I, and you're inviting God through his Holy Spirit and his word to consider a situation where you've been offended, in this committee meeting, remember what the, the, the prayer as it began said, our Father in heaven, our Father, not my Father, but our Father, the Father who made you, the God who made you, also made that other person. And so recognize that you are equals. You are both in the category of sinner. And your father wants restoration. He wants to extend forgiveness to this person. And sometimes your unforgiveness is the very thing that's keeping them from salvation. Especially if you're a Christian. Because if that person knows you're a Christian and sees the bitterness and your uh, sort of mean-spiritedness, then what do you have to offer? How, how can you really bring wholeness and forgiveness and the, the eradication of guilt and, and the effusion of eternal permanent peace and the hope and expectation of, of heaven and of, and of all relations be, just being set right? How can you offer any of that if you're going to hang on to this grudge? You, you dare not do so. What does forgiveness not do? There are three things I want to bring up about what it doesn't do, just to qualify any misunderstandings. What does forgiveness not do? Forgiveness does not destroy our memory. I think there's been a misunderstanding in Isaiah 43, verse 25. The Lord God says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. He does not say, I cannot remember your sins. He says, I will not remember your sins. There is a deliberate, every second, if, if we limit God and think of him as being in time, in every moment that you have committed a sin, you've asked for forgiveness and sought uh, forgiveness through the blood of Christ, God says, I will not remember that against you ever again. Not that I cannot, but I will not. Secondly, forgiveness does not eliminate all consequences. One of the more larger uh, narratives in the scripture is the account of how King David sinned horribly against uh, a woman and against her husband, a woman named Bathsheba. Just uh, one sin begat another sin begat another sin. It was just a series of sins. And, and you read in the scriptures, and the prophets come to him with a message, and he himself, King David, is, uh, offers prayers. We have records of them in Psalm 51 and places like that. And we know that, that, that David was forgiven by God. But the consequences endured. And the, the chapter after chapter of what happens after David's sin and how uh, the effect of that sin rippled out into the next generations and, and the troubles that this dear man had with his, his children, you see it. Uh, you, you can't hermetically seal sin. You can't keep it out. It infects. It's, it's like a disease, a contagious disease. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily eliminate all consequences. Uh, thirdly, forgiveness doesn't rebuild our trust. 
uh, that's sometimes misunderstood. Well, uh, especially a sins against a vulnerable person or a child or something, you don't immediately just welcome the person back into that child's life. That would be unwise to expose them to further temptation when they have already fallen once. That, that is not what the scriptures admonish. Forgiveness doesn't rebuild, automatically rebuild trust, but it, it, forgiveness can be given and ought to be given immediately, like instantly, but that trust may need to be re-earned. Uh, and in fact, there might be boundaries and reasons why certain things shouldn't be um, permitted, both for the, 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 the well-being of the person uh, on the other side of the equation, too. I would say lastly about that, uh, what is it not? I think, uh, especially in my, in my younger days, I, I could see someone was hurt and I would kind of, it was quick to say, I'm sorry for whatever I did. <laughs> if you don't know, if you can't specifically apologize, you shouldn't do so. You need to, the other person needs to know that you get it. Because if you're not clear on what, how you, how you blew it, they have no expectation that you won't blow it again, Right? You need to be particular and specific on how you sinned and not merely be like, oh, I'm sorry you got mad or I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry you feel bad. That's not what forgiveness is. That's not at all what forgiveness is biblically. Now let's talk about uh, why. We talked about the what of forgiveness. Why should we forgive? And uh, Jesus could not be more clear on this, though it is hard to swallow. He could not be more clear on this. After teaching us to forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, he then, at the end of, the, of this uh, prayer, teaching us to pray, he then uh, tacks on this in verse 14 of Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, the, the word order in that, uh, that phrase, that second petition of forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, the word order is correct. In the Greek, it is uh, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But in the verbal order, the order of the tenses of the verbs, it actually is more like this. As we have already forgiven those who have trespassed against us, now today, Father, forgive us our trespasses. In other words, we've already uh, committed to forgive another person. And because we're, our hearts are inclined to that, Father, please incline your heart to us and forgive us our sins. How can you ever expect to be forgiven by God if you won't forgive him? We could read another parable. The parable is called of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. Remember, there's this guy. He owes like a trillion dollars, a massive amount of debt to someone. But uh, he is forgiven by that person and then turns around and chokes the living daylights out of a dude that owes him 20 bucks. Right? The severity of the sin is in large part the, the preciousness of the person that you sin against. Right? We, we understand this even outside the church. We sense this. That's why sins against children who are vulnerable are, are, are so anathema to us. Even as a culture, that's still the case. We, we, it, it, we abhor when a, an adult does something evil against a child. We should. We should. They're precious. They're innocent. They had no opportunity to thwart or stop. Right? Similarly, any sin against God is like he, is, he has given us his only son. He, he has loved us to the nth degree. He is precious. He's, he's, he's perfect. He's holy. He is the father described in the parable of sons uh, story. So then if you sin against such a father, how offensive. And that's what makes the elder son attitude to the father so much more evil, really, than the younger son because he was with the dad the whole time and yet still didn't love his dad. 
It's offensive. It's, it's ugly. It's evil. The Lord uh, Herbert, I, I think he, he must have been an Englishman, otherwise they wouldn't have put the word Lord on there. Uh, Lord Herbert had this. I think he was right on. Uh, he who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. We must forgive others in order to be forgiven. So that's our, uh, why forgive? There's a negative reason. We should forgive others so that your Father in heaven will forgive you. But there are two positive reasons at least. One of them is we forgive. Why? In order that God will then forgive you, not after the fact, but rather because he's already forgiven you. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much that while we were still his sworn enemy, he, he died for us. He took the initiative. He acted first. And that's why it's so interesting to be a Christian, because Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Let me say that again. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, and they should know it. Therefore, we are also to be the most forgiving people in the world, too. Right? Having been forgiven much, will you not love much? Having been restored of so much, will you not restore others of so much? And I think if we have that idea of passing the buck, well, who's going to go first? Who's going to apologize? And in marriage, there's often stalemates in marriage, right? Because there's usually two sides to the story. There's usually a fence on both sides, isn't there? Who's going to go first? Who's going to be the big boy, the big girl, the big person? The bottom line is, who wishes to please Christ? Who is the Christian? The Christian should always be the one taking the initiative. Why? Because God took the initiative for you. He went first, so you follow him. I remember it says in 1 John, chapter 4 talks about this, that, that because God loved us first, we now respond in love, right? And if we can't love the people we can see, he says, this is the Apostle John, if we don't even love the people we, we are living with and around, how can we possibly love God who's invisible? No, no, we must put our loves in the right order. One other thing that I, I found in Luke chapter 6, which I thought was just marvelous, another positive reason to, to seek to give and receive forgiveness is this. Forgive according to the level that you wish to be forgiven. Treat other people the way you wish God would treat you. Listen to this, this sentence from uh, Jesus in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. He, he says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, that verse is misused and misquoted by a lot of people who are into prosperity and that sort of thing. But when it says, give and it will be given to you, it's talking about what? Forgiveness. It's talking about how, it's talking about restoration. It's talking about many things. And it's saying, what? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You cannot outgive God. So if you want, if you're desiring God's grace, you should give grace to other people. Do you see? You cannot outgive God. Don't demand justice. I mean, you can have justice if you really want it, but know that if you demand that, that's a door that swings both ways. You must give grace if you want to receive undeserved grace or acceptance from God. Christ will make payments for you on your sin. Are you willing to make payments for others? 
And finally, I'll finish with how do we forgive? This is perhaps the hardest thing to do, isn't it? To actually go, do, go ahead and do it. How do we forgive? Uh, one of my dear brothers brought this up in one of our discipleship training groups. I thought it was an excellent quote, and I went and searched for it and found it. Uh, from C.S. Lewis, he said this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable uh, in you. The only possible foundation and basis for you to really give deep, abiding, permanent, eternal forgiveness to another person is to look to Jesus Christ. The only way to see it is to say, because Christ has forgiven me, I can now forgive them. And perhaps in the mercy of God, uh, the father describing the prodigal son, the, the God that we see who died, the God man who died on the cross, perhaps the, the, what Jesus secured on the cross will not only forgive me of my sin, but can be forgiving her of her sin. Do you see? Perhaps his blood is powerful to forgive us of all kinds of sins. And indeed it is. Do you remember that John Newton said uh, in that wonderful hymn that we have, the poetry, poetry that we sing, I think it's probably the great American hymn, even outside of the church at ball games and stuff, we'll sometimes hear this. You, know this. you know the phrase, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. That saved a wretch like me. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you can't say that you're a wretch, you do not yet see. If you're not willing to recognize that God offers to forgive you and that you should then forgive others, you remain lost. The elder son remained lost at the end of the parable because he never understood that he was a wretch. God is providing that insight to you now, some of you here. Amazing grace, I once was lost. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Remember that? I urge you to press into Christ. What does that look like? It means to confess your sin, to admit it to the Father. Start there. And seek to be restored. John Newton, who wrote that, uh, one of my favorite sayings uh, is what he said at his deathbed. And he was much, a much older man than I am now. And he said this, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for Jesus in whom is life. I, all of us have seen pictures or heard accounts of Jesus of Nazareth and how he was flailed and beaten and mocked and how they nailed him to a wooden crossbeam and hoisted him up and how he had to gasp for breath and eventually died in a rather gruesome way. And, and that, that difficult image is meant to remind us and show us that our sin is really offensive. It is really ugly and it took the death of a perfect man to pay our debt against a perfect God. Thank you, Father, for paying that debt. You are the elder brother, Jesus. You have died so that we may have life. You have died. You have taken our place. You have paid in full our debt, our sins, which are many. We thank you that you did not leave us in our sins, but have restored us to the Father. And now, would you grant that we might be a people who are forgiven, who are guilt-free, 
who remain in a world of guilty people who have mental illness and all kinds of things manifesting themselves in their relationships and marriages. And grant that we, being forgiven, might help lead others to forgiveness at the cross as well. And oh, that you might heal many a marriage and many a father-son, mother-daughter relationship in this room. So that when people look, they will say, surely they know God. Look at their love. Look at how short their accounts are. Look at how different they are. And yet they love you and one another with such depth. It's beautiful. I wish I could know such a God as well. Stir in their hearts, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen.